What impact are mortgage fraud losses having on the financial industry? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, here with Tom Maxwell, partner of Barnes & Thornburg. Tom, before we get started, could you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your experience with mortgage fraud and your role at Barnes & Thornburg? Well, I'm a, a partner in the business department at Barnes & Thornburg, uh, dealing primarily with uh, financial institutions. In my uh, previous career, I was with the Federal Home Loan Bank Board during the savings and loan crisis and the FDIC in the early 90s uh, when when uh, that agency was resolving failed banks in New England. So most of my experience in the mortgage fraud area derives from my experience with the, the, uh, the bank board and the FDIC. Um, I currently represent mortgage lenders that are on the up and up, and um, you know, I am a, I'm aware of current issues in the mortgage industry just because uh, through my current representation of mortgage lenders. How much have the incidents of mortgage fraud increased over the last 6 to 12 months? Well, I don't think it's so much that mortgage fraud has increased. In fact, you know, mortgage lending in general is down significantly over the last couple of years since the markets, um, since the market correction of 2008. But what is what has significantly increased is the awareness of mortgage fraud and the prosecutions arising from mortgage fraud that occurred during the uh, early 2000s. Um, and that's what we're seeing now, prosecutions of, you know, land flippers and, and fraudulent appraisals and other fraudulent activities that occur in the mortgage area. But it's not so much that it's going on now. In fact, there's so much less mortgage lending going on generally now that, you know, you'd have to assume there's probably less fraud going on now just as a function of just there being less lending in general. One thing that comes top of mind is, of course, the recent arrest of Lee Farkas, the former owner of TBW. How easy was it him for, for him to pull off this $1.9 billion fraud scheme? I only know about this from what I've read in the media. Now, I have followed this in the, in the media, but, um, but it would appear that it, it would involve a lot of work uh, to do what he did or what he's alleged to have done. He, he moved money around. Uh, again, in the indictment, he's alleged to have moved money around from one account to the next uh, so that uh, at any given time you know, he could satisfy a deadline to have money somewhere so that if an auditor was looking, it would see that an account was fully funded, and then he would move the money into another account the next day. Uh, it seems to me that would involve quite a bit of work, uh, but he knew what he was doing um, if if these allegations are true, and it seems that he was uh, it would have taken quite a bit of work actually to to have pulled this off for as long as he did. What could the bank have been looking for to help prevent this? Well, in most cases of mortgage fraud, uh, it comes back to kind of the same the same issues in every case, and, and a lot of it with the financial institution, and that is a lack of underwriting um, and, and making sure that you know what you're buying. Um, and that, so the bank should have had in place procedures for, uh, for underwriting loans and the loan pools that it was purchasing uh, and, and to follow those guidelines. It's one thing to have guidelines in place, but you need to make sure that, uh, that you're effectively carrying the, the guidelines and the policies out. Um, I think that there were so many uh, asset sales between um, uh, TBW and Colonial that uh, it, it would be easy to see how they, they became kind of routine after a while, uh, and that makes it easier to, to perpetrate a fraud if the buyer looks at it as a routine transaction rather than a unique transaction that it needs to 
to, to uh, properly underwrite. It's really just a matter of knowing what you're buying, going through the loan files and making sure that everything's in place and, and looking at things with a, with a skeptical eye. So what types of internal controls would you recommend beyond just the underwriting? Well, underwriting is very important, and then you also need to have. Um, I've always looked at it as you know the, the trust, but trust would verify. Uh, it's one thing that you know you can have an ongoing business relationship with somebody where you're doing recurring deals, uh, purchases of assets, but you need to verify, and you also need to have redundancy in the system so that one person in the in the chain cannot carry off a fraud for over an extended period of time. You need to have people looking over other people's shoulders at any given time to make sure that uh, there, you don't have a lone wolf that can bring the whole enterprise down. So what are the top three mistakes that you see banks and credit unions making when it comes to mortgage fraud? Well, it, again, it goes back to the, the poor underwriting standards. Um, you know, the days of liar loans and the so-called ninja loans, which are no, no income, no job, and you can still get a loan. Um, those days are really over now because there's no secondary market. There's no funding for those types of loans. Um, so, um, uh, so the, the, again, those those all relate to the uh, to the underlying or to the uh, underwriting function where um, the the uh, banks did not know what they were actually buying. Um, then that also um, even if loans were properly underwritten. Um, the, the standards that they were applying to the loans, allowing high loan-to-value ratios, for example, um, and, and having other lax lending policies. Uh, banks were buying loans from <clears throat> borrowers who could not afford to repay them, and they were under-collateralized. The, um, the, the loans were worth, were worth for more than the underlying collateral was worth. And then there was also... Um, land flipping or, uh, involved in a lot of the fraud cases that we're seeing now where um, a house would sell for $50,000 and then the next week for 100000 and a week later for 200000 there was collusion with the appraisals uh, with the appraisers and those were the types of things that were happening in the early 2000s that you don't really see so much now or I, I can't imagine that it's as prevalent as it was again just because lending as a as a whole is is down from where it was um, you know five years ago and finally I wanted to ask you know when we're looking at mortgage fraud generally do you see stronger legislation playing a greater role in mortgage lending well we're already seeing that there uh, in 2008 there was a uh, a new uh, mortgage licensing act uh, that came into effect of the secure and the secure and fair enforcement for mortgage licensing act uh, that is uh, just now coming in into line and, and under that uh, mortgage brokers and originators need to register in well they've always had to register in states but a crooked broker or originator could originate loans in one state until he got in trouble and then move to another state and just start over because there was there was no method of for the two states to communicate with each other. The SAFE Act changes that. It sets up a national registry for uh, loan brokers and originators so that their records are maintained in a central database. And then when they go to a new state to get licensed, the state taps into that national database and can see exactly 
what that person has been doing previously. We're also seeing it with uh, in the the current financial reform law that's being what's in the final stages of negotiation. They're talking about requiring originators, loan originators, to keep a higher percentage of the loans that they originate and the loan pools that they try to that they sell into the secondary market. And the thinking is that if the originator has to uh, retain a higher percentage of the loans, it's going to have a higher interest in making sure that those loans are properly underwritten. Uh, now, of course, if they have to, the more that the originator has to retain, uh, the less it's going to be able to sell those loans or receive uh, in consideration for selling the loans in the market, and it'll cut down on uh, funding for new loans. Uh, you put self-interest in the system so that a loan originator has skin in the game and, it, and has a self-interest in originating uh, soundly underwritten loans. So those are some changes we've already seen and that, uh, that, that they're talking about now in the, the current uh, Financial Reform Act. Tom, thank you for your time today. Okay, glad to talk to you. Again, we're here with Tom Maxwell, partner of Barnes & Thornburg. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.